your trusted source for news and analysis about Chicago White Sox prospects and player development, covering the Major League Baseball draft and international market, plus the action in Kannapolis, Winston-Salem, Birmingham, and Charlotte. This is the Future Sox Podcast with your hosts, Mike Rankin and James Fox. Welcome to another episode of the Future Sox Podcast. Bonus episode for you because we're getting ready for the Major League Baseball Amateur Draft and we have nobody better joining us than Brian Sikowski of Perfect Game. Before we get to Brian, let's introduce James Fox, co-host of the podcast and senior editor of FutureSox.com. My name's Mike Rankin. I'm your host and lead editor of FutureSox.com. We partner with Sox Machine. If you haven't been around over the last year. We've been partners for nearly two years now, and I think it's going swell. We're covering Major League Baseball and, of course, everything surrounding the Chicago White Sox organization, and that includes this year's draft class. Looking forward to learning so much more about that. If you can become a patron, go to SoxMachine.com. It fuels us every day. Brian, welcome back to the Future Sox podcast. You're the national cross-checker for Perfect Game Baseball. What does that mean, and what are you doing now? How are you filling your time preparing for the draft and just going on about your day-to-day. Uh, thank you for having me, guys. I appreciate it. I always look forward to, to this show every year. So, uh, again, thank you for, for re-upping with me. I appreciate it. National Cross Checker is, uh, as far as what it means, basically what it means is I'm higher up in the scouting department at Perfect Game. It doesn't necessarily uh, change my duties as far as, like, how my job works, blah, 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 blah. But, yeah, that it basically means that I'm up, up in the scouting department. But um, what I'm doing these days, I mean, hey, man, the draft is close. We're, we're working on the final board. Um, we're pumping out mock drafts. We have to write 600 and some reports at the end because our board will go. Every, a couple of years ago, I got it in my head that we should rank as many picks as there are in the draft once mm-hmm. we shortened it. And now, you know, maybe that was cool at the time. I don't know if I wish that we still did that. But so 600 some players ranked and then we'll write reports for all of them um, working on that. And then uh, in addition to that, PG's running full swing, like summer's here. So lots of showcases traveling around. Um, I'll get going on in, in tournaments uh, in the next couple of weeks as well, getting into Georgia and, and uh, Alabama for that. But yeah, busy time of year, but a fun time of year, guys. It's the draft. It's, it's what we're all looking for, right? So happy to be here. You can follow Brian at B underscore Sikowski underscore PG. And when he references perfect game, if you're looking up prospects that may land to the White Sox, for example, oftentimes you'll see video from Perfect Game of essentially scouting reports. You're watching them hit from both sides or the front and close side, or you're looking at pitchers from behind home plate and getting so much value in evaluating these guys that we just don't know about and we don't see. And that's why we have you here today, Brian. We want to learn more about this draft. And thinking back to 2020, all the way to 2023. There's so much talent in this specific draft class currently, and I wonder if it has anything to do with the 2020 season. And also, if you could, could you just compare where the talent is now versus, say, the last three, four years in the recent draft classes? Sure. Um, I think that there's definitely an element of the 2020 draft being shortened, uh, strengthening this class, most especially because the top tier of this class is on the college side. And all of those guys went to college as a result of, you know, the draft being shortened. 
Um, that's not necessarily true with Skeens. I don't think he was a draft guy much coming out of college, but it was certainly true, or excuse me, coming out of high school, but it's certainly true with Dylan Cruz, who pulled his name out of the 2020 draft uh, once we were fully in the COVID swing, uh, mostly because he wasn't going to get, you know, top first round money or whatever. He was probably going to get top 50 money and, and whatever it was, decided to go to LSU. He's been the consensus one, one for this class pretty much since that happened. Um, so that's a really good example right there is, is the best player in the class probably shouldn't be in this class if everything had gone according to plan in 2020. I think that there's, you know, any number of guys that maybe they wouldn't have been first rounders in 2020, but they would have been drafted with the opportunity to sign for, you know, a reasonable dollar amount, uh, you know, like the, the looking in retrospect sort of, uh, guessing they could have signed something like that there's any number of those guys dotting uh, this draft class with from the college side and you asked where the talent's coming from it's the college side this is a solid prep class don't get me wrong especially in the bats we can talk about those more in depth but um, the top tier of the class is is college it's Cruz it's Langford it's Skeens um, there's a couple prep bats in that mix obviously Jenkins and Clark but after that then again it's prep bats or excuse me college bats so I think that's where the the real strength of the class is right now, especially at the top. And and like we said, a lot of those guys maybe shouldn't even be in this class because they should have been taken in 2020. So, you, you know, you kind of talked a lot about Dylan Cruz there. He is, you know, probably still the consensus guy, I would I would think. But like with Pittsburgh up at number one, there there are a lot of questions. Right. And it's the I think it's the biggest bonus number in history. Right. It's like nine point seven million. We know that it's Boris representation, I guess. Just first, how good is Dylan Cruz? Should the Pirates, you know, take him there if it means it costs you the full nine point seven? And then I guess we could, you know we could kind of get into if, if somebody else like a Max Clark is seven and a half million instead, like, is, is that something that's worth doing essentially? Yeah. I, I think Dylan Cruz is really, really good. Um, I don't know. I'm not smart enough. I don't think to, to really value like, Oh, well, is he good enough to give him your full slot at one, one? Because my thought goes like, yeah, the best player in the class should probably get the most money for, you, you know? So I, it, I know that's a simplistic way of looking at it. I think he's worth it. Um, I think he's a, a perennial all-star type of player. Uh, I don't know if he's a Hall of Famer. I don't know if I've ever said that about an amateur player. I probably never will. Um, but with that being said, I think he's a perennial all-star. I think he's going to hit and hit for power and impact the game defensively and on the base paths. And like, He's a really, really good player. I would take him if I had the first pick. But in the, the draft day and age that we live in, the modern day reality of it, you know, sometimes getting the best player in the class isn't as valuable as maybe getting the fifth and the 18th or something like that if you're, if you're doing the cut and then pushing guys down the board. So I think that Pittsburgh certainly is exploring the cut possibilities. You mentioned Max Clark. I think Max Clark is absolutely a part of those discussions. Um, would I do that? I don't know. I don't know. But I'm not a big league GM, so I don't have to know. <laughs> so yeah so just like speculating a little bit like that that's the name that's out there is that max clark i think kind of knows where he's going if it's not one right and with his personality i think like if he gets offered seven and a half million to be the number one pick i personally like i think he does that but i mean just kind of look at mike rizzo right with the nationals how tough of a decision is that for him if Mike if Max Clark goes number one? <laughs> uh, it's impossible. I because like well for me it's I would just take Cruz then like thanks for that guys 
But Mike Rizzo, you know, like we all know that he's tied to Skeens in big ways. Like everybody has said already publicly, like there's no way the Nats are passing on Skeens except for maybe if it's Cruz there. And so I, I think that that would be a very difficult decision for him. I, I read something the other day, like, you know, they've kind of stockpiled their outfield class in recent drafts or whatever. And, you know, some of those guys are higher end and I understand that, but I, I still think you draft for best player available and not need, especially at two. But if you think Paul Skeens is an ace like next year, then, you know, probably hard to pass on that if you're Mike Rizzo. Well, yeah. And I think he's one of the GMs or, just like team scouting models, whatever, right? Like that isn't going to be afraid to take a picture that high, even mm -hmm. if the guy is as good as Paul Skeens, right? So like, even like down the board, like we know that it's, you know, it's new front office leadership in Detroit, but all indications are that they'd prefer to take a bat. And then Texas doesn't have that much money because mm -hmm. they don't have a second or third rounder. So yeah, that's, that's where it becomes interesting to me because it's like, okay, if it is, if it is the bat at two, like I'm not, certain that Paul Skeens goes three or four either. So that, yeah. you know, that's just kind of where some of the dynamics come into play. How accurate is it for me to say that there's kind of a consensus top five players? And then in your opinion, just like with other drafts you've covered, could any of those five guys be like one, one candidates in other drafts potentially? Yeah. I, I think that the consensus on a top five is accurate. Um, I think that there's different, different players who would fit the next tier, depending on who you talk to, uh, you know, the, the six through 12 tier or whatever, like I, my six through 12 is going to look different from you guys's and, and everybody else's is, but that top five and even that the orders may change within those top fives, but yeah, yes, I do agree. There's kind of a consensus top five. And um, what was the second part of the question, James? I'm sorry. Well, no, just so I mean, like, look, if any of those guys, in a different mm. draft, like would be in consideration for one, one, I would say. Right. Yes. It's, that's kind of my interpretation too. I was just kind of like, you know, like picking five isn't the worst case scenario. You just no. pluck the guy that hasn't been taken yet. You know? Yeah. So. It, that's what like the Cardinals have done so well for years. Um, and I think you can make the argument Cleveland's done that too, is like, they're always picking at 21 or whatever. And they just, it's okay. W one of our top 15 is going to fall to us. And when he does, we'll just take that guy. Thank you very much, everyone. We'll see you in the second round. You know, so I think that, the, like you said, the Twins at five, Oakland at six, they got to be feeling pretty good, especially if, as you laid out, which I thought was a really good point, four might not be able to spend, you know, like you said. So it's going to be interesting. It could be interesting right from pick one, but most likely it seems we're going to wait till pick four to see some fireworks. You know, Major League Baseball draft is so different than anything else, just considering the allotted slot amounts as well as the decisions for some prep players to either commit to their uh, their colleges or take the contract. And typically, you know, if there's prep players getting what they're looking for in the early rounds and maybe even over slot late, they typically sign. And I'm just curious myself, Brian, we already talked about what could happen across the top five given Pittsburgh's history and what James mentioned about the Rangers. I'm just thinking about what this class looks like overall outside of the top five. You know, I'm not seeing a lot of catching prospects in the first round, at least that really catch my eye that, um, you know, in a White Sox perspective, that would be valuable in the top 15. I'm just curious what your opinion is on the strengths of this draft um, and what are some positions that may be lacking in the early rounds? There's definitely a dearth of catching. 
Uh, you hit on that. And you guys are picking – you guys, the White Sox, you know what I mean. Um, you're picking in a spot where if you're targeting catchers, just good luck. Because Kyle Teal is going to be gone, and then the next guy is how far down the board, you know, depending on your perspective. So there's definitely a dearth in that, in my opinion. But uh, overall, I think the the top five props the class up a little bit more uh, than maybe others think. Um, I've seen some say that this is the best draft since 2011. I don't, I don't agree with that. I don't see the college pitching. Um, I don't see the impact pitching necessarily. I, impact's the wrong word. There's impact guys here. It's just like for that to happen, for, for it to be the best draft since then, you got to have so many like sevens in this class. And there's, I see maybe a couple and I'm probably wrong and there'll be a couple more, but I don't see that, that sort of multitude. Um, I think it's good positionally high school-wise. I think the high school bats are very strong. I mentioned that in the intro. I think there's uh, guys that are going to end up going to school who we're talking about in the top five in 2026 or whatever. We're just going to repeat the cycle from 2020 in that sense. Um, I think there's guys who are going to end up getting picked in the 50s and overpaid there who will look back and think should have been slam dunk first rounders. you know. Uh, but the, the pitching for me... Because even outside of the, the top two prep arms, you know, you have some upside, you have some ability, but it's no slam dunks after those top two guys. And, and even then, high school pitchers aren't slam dunks even when they're the top two guys. And so it's the pitching for me that's holding the class back a little bit. As we stay on the topic of pitching, I just want to throw this by you real quick. You know, we have Skeens, Louder, Waldrop, and Dolander, right, expected to go ahead, or I guess among the first four to go uh, in the pitching class. Who's next, if if you could guess, after those four players? As far as college pitchers go specifically? Right. Yep. Yes. Um, it's a good question. I'm going to throw – yeah, I'm going to say Joe Whitman. Let's do that. I knew he was going Kent State. Yeah. I, I, I agree, but I, I figured this was coming. I'm a Mac ahead. guy. What do you want? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you know. Yeah. Um, I would say Joe Whitman. In a, in a year where, like, every good college lefty got hurt or if he didn't get hurt was bad. Uh, Joe Whitman was good all year and then shoved on the Cape the other day. Like he's, I think he's shutting down now. Um, he's done nothing but rise up. I think there's no chance he goes lower than like pick 50 at this point and pretty decent chances in the thirties. I would imagine by July um, in one of those comp rounds, maybe, or even the late twenties, but yeah, I'll, I'll go with Whitman. So we got into a little bit there of personal preference with <laughs> regards to your scouting eye. Is there particular regions that you really enjoy hanging out in and recognizing maybe a pool of talent that always seems to come up and, and prove themselves as professional ball players? Yeah, hundred percent. Like I'm a Northern guy. I, this is, I'm not even, you know, breaking news here to folks. Like I ride for the Great Lakes region when it comes to baseball players. Like I'm a Detroit native. I live in Cleveland now, um, Michigan, Ohio, Indiana kids specifically, and over to Chicago and Illinois too. But uh, more specifically right here in this region, I love uh, following those guys. I love uh, being a, a small part of, of the journey in some ways when I can help guys out with finding schools. And I will absolutely always uh, try my best to give the, uh, the Northern stars the same shine that the Southern ones get for sure. There's no I in team, but there is one in indeed. And that's the hiring platform that you need to build yours. When you're hiring, you need indeed. Instead of spending hours on multiple job sites, searching for candidates with the right skills, indeed's a powerful hiring platform that can help you do it all. One of the things I love about indeed is that it makes hiring all in one place. So easy because 
Indeed does the hard work for you. They show you the candidates whose resumes on Indeed fit your description immediately after you post so you can hire faster. Join more than 3 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. Start hiring now with a $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at Indeed.com slash sports. Offer good for a limited time. Claim your $75 credit now at Indeed.com slash sports. That's Indeed.com slash sports And support the show by saying that you heard it on this podcast. Indeed.com slash sports. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Brian, so, you know, just mentioning Whitman, I'm going to go back for a second. Was was he, like, on your radar at all at Purdue? Because it's just, he was, you know, he didn't really pitch much and was kind of bad. And then I know the, uh, what I guess, like, the highly respected pitching coach at Kent State, I've seen mentioned at multiple outlets, you know, Mike Birkbeck. Is it that simple? He just goes somewhere and gets better, and now he's going to go in the top 50? Well, I so to answer the first question, I did not have anything on him at Purdue. Like, didn't have his name. I heard his name first right when he transferred because I know his agent um, and his, or excuse me, his advisor. Uh, his advisor had reached out and said, hey, man, like not telling you to do anything with this yet, but I've had him in the facility. Like, here's his data. He looks great. They're actually going to pitch him at Kent. Like, you know, this is a positive developmental environment now. Just he's a name for you to watch. He might be a draftable guy this year was kind of the vibe. I was like, OK, great. Um, obviously I think being in an environment where you're encouraged, you know, you're encouraged, I guess you can full stop it there, um, where it's a healthy environment for growth and and development. And, you know, you don't have to show right up on campus and be immediately good. They're, they're willing to develop you. I think that that's kind of a, a bigger story there for why Whitman got as good as he did. But yeah, it was a, I, it wasn't out of nowhere because like I said, I'd heard the name, but when all of a sudden I went and saw him in in April, um, kind of before everybody else had, had heard his name in a big way, I went and saw it and was like, put him in the second round. And I was like, man, I'm going to end up being low. And then every single lefty got hurt. And so I was like, man, I am low second round. Jeez, this guy's going to go in the first, but it's been a good story with him for sure. Yeah, Mike. So he's definitely, well, I think he's the the top college lefty in the class. And I, yeah. I mean, I think there's, I mean, there's a chance that, you know, he could be the, the top lefty, I would assume. I mean, de- depending on when Thomas white goes, yep. like I could see, I could see Dom- Thomas white, the high school lefty getting, getting paid down obviously. So who knows, but yeah, that's uh, it's one of the more interesting. Cause I don't even really necessarily want to call him a, a pop-up guy, like in the landscape of college baseball, where you just have transfers kind of come out of nowhere. Cause you know, like ski. I mean, the best pitcher in the country was getting mocked at 15 and some people thought he was a DH at the next level. And he's, you know, Paul Skeen. So right. very, yeah, very interesting. So I want to shift to the White Sox a little bit. Yeah, I, I've heard, you know, conflicting information on them, but it's been pretty consistently bats at 15. And I, look, I don't know if that's because they just expect the four college starters to be off the board, so it's obviously a bat. I've heard that they, they wouldn't mind cutting because there's prep pitching targets in the second and third. But, I mean, just sticking to, like, the the prep side, I, I'm not sure Colin Houck gets past them, but they've also been linked to Arjun Numala and Aiden Miller, Blake Mitchell, you know, in some form. Who, who could get to 15? Do you like any 
fits in particular? And then I guess just anything you want to mention about like that kind of group of type guys. Yeah, sure. I, I don't know if Arjun will get there. It's possible. Uh, it's better. You know, it's probably 50, 50. It's not like it's a slam dunk. He doesn't, but I don't know if he's going to get there. He may go before that. Um, but I really like the Aiden Miller idea for the White Sox. You know, it, it's that profile for me and it, not even for me, it's like been proven. Um, Chris Brown, who does great blogging work and, and multimedia stuff on with the Tiger stuff, um, he did the study a couple years ago that like the safest profile for production or whatever ends up being high school third baseman. Um, and and I think that Aiden Miller's really good on top of that. It, you know, it's plus right-handed power with field to hit, and he's a good enough athlete to play third. He has the arm for it. He's performed, you know, he's played on big stages and, and performed well. It's I, I like it. I like that there. I think we might be talking about him higher if he'd been healthy all spring, but he had a hand injury that he came back from and is fine now, but um, missed some time and missed some some looks, obviously, from scouts. But that, I, you know, not to say I'm zeroing in on that guy for who the White Sox will pick or anything like that. I just, of the names you mentioned, and I think Blake Mitchell's really good too, but I, Aiden Miller kind of makes the most sense to me. Yeah, I mean, it makes sense to me too. He's obviously got the the 19-year-old thing, right? Mm-hmm. We always kind of talk about this every year, like 19-year-old prep guys. They're not afraid to tab a guy there. They did it with Colson Montgomery, and that's obviously, you know, worked out to this point. So, you know, I guess I could, yeah, I'd be more than happy with Aiden Miller at, at 15 because I think he's just like undersold a little bit because of the injury. Yep, I agree with you. He entered the spring for us in the top 10. Um, he was actually our third prep behind Clark and Jenkins or Jenkins and Clark, depending on how you want me to say that. But, and so the injury knocked him a little bit. We ended up having Arjun ahead of him, but I, right now back up, et cetera, et cetera. Like we see, I think we see that guy as a top 10 talent in the class. Looking at where the White Sox stand organizationally, and we heard from an industry expert suggest that the White Sox really need some uh, power, some pop infused into their farm system. And I, it, right there, it just takes me to college hitting. And I wonder if there's any worthwhile bats at the college ranks around 15 that could land to the White Sox. Do you have any uh, in your mind that could fit there? Yeah. The the one that first jumps to mind immediately is Braden Taylor, although given his recent stretch, I don't know if he's going to be there. Um, you know, I, you could say similar things about Jacob Gonzalez, excuse me, but I think he'll be gone as well. But Braden Taylor's the one for me. You, you talk about power. It's big left-handed juice. He's really turned it on in the last month or so in terms of performance. He knows the zone pretty well. There's just some swing and miss there. Third baseman, left-handed bat, juice. If he's there, you know, tough time deciding between him and Miller. But uh, that seems to me like a case where, like, whichever one of those guys is there, maybe. We can take that guy. This is just a quick follow-up here, and this is just like a broader philosophical question. I just want your opinion on this. and. You know, because we're we're going to ask you about Dylan Head at some point in mm-hmm. this interview, and I'm just curious about players who do decide out of high school to get into a professional organization and decide to develop with professional pitching or hitting coaches versus going to a Division One school and learning over the course of three years. You know, because I just think it's so difficult for a prep hitter to adjust to professional pitching versus going to college and maybe developing that skill there. But at the same time, right, and this is me just thinking out loud, going prep gives you so much room for flexibility mm-hmm. and time. They're a part of your organization for so long, and if something goes wrong, they're still only 20 years old ultimately. So I'm just curious your opinion of 
the decisions uh, behind going pro versus going to a committed three-year university ultimately? So for me, it, it literally comes down to personal financial situation, you know, like, and, and there's a sliding scale of that, like 3 million bucks is life changing for some guys, but literally it, it, it not everyone. There's some people where 3 million bucks isn't life changing for them. Um, and then there's some people where 300 grand is life changing for them. So I, I think it, the decision to go pro versus going college oftentimes is going to come down to money. And for you mentioned Dylan Head specifically, I, I think Dylan Head is worth a lot of money in the draft. So, you, you know, I, I like talking about that guy going to college. I would love to see him in college baseball. I just think he's so good that he's going to get taken and paid really well. That's all. But when it comes to the decision, man, like I said, it's it usually ends up about money. If most of the time kids going to play college baseball are still going to have to pay something, you know, there's very few full rides. And then the ones that exist maybe cover academics and you got to pay for housing or something. And, and NIL is maybe a factor, but there's very, very few college baseball players who are getting rich off NIL. So, you know, it, it comes down to that. It is $3 million, for example, as a signing bonus after taxes stretched out over the life of when you expect to be in the minor leagues more than what you could maybe get with a 60% scholarship and some NIL at blank school, you know, that's, that's where it's going to come down to as far as the decision-making goes for that, uh, just in my opinion. Yeah. And that makes all the sense in the world to me. And I only bring it up because the concern I have is, I guess it does relate to Dylan Head and we can stick to this conversation. But before I just wanted to mention, it, it's just like, if you're failing as an 18, 19, 20 year old in the professional ranks, I wonder what it would do had you have gone to a competitive four-year university where you're facing that elite skill set and you're developing over time at a college level before going pro with the threat of, you know, your career coming to an abrupt end because you're overwhelmed mm -hmm. by the competition. That's always been in my head about prep hitters entering the professional scene. And that's where the area guys knowing the makeup comes into play. You know, right. like you have to do as good a job as you can to get to know the kid that you might be drafting to know if like you're really going to recommend this kid to go out and be a pro, you know, and th and that's where the area guys have to be honest. It's like, hey, I don't know if this kid's going to do well if he has a bad 10 days in the complex league. You know, I don't know what that's going to do to his psyche. OK, then don't draft that guy, y you know. So I, I think that that's where you really got to lean on the makeup work that you do and trusting your area scouts who have developed the relationships. And, and that's where they're, they're so valuable. They're valuable always, but that's where they're so valuable is, is that human element side of it. Yeah. And I just wanted to finish this thought. Um, we're on Dylan Head, your scouting report on the prep player, local product, one of the most talented players that we've seen come across this area in, in a bit. But you know, you talked to him, talked about him briefly earlier. What's your opinion of Dylan Head? Is he maybe available at 15 for the White Sox? Would that make sense? Or is that a little aggressive? No, I, I think Dylan Head's really good. I, I've thought that for a couple of years now. Um, I think the first time I saw him, we were coming out of COVID or whatever, and I, I happened to catch him young. Um, and the explosive athleticism and the speed and the bat speed have all always stood out. He's added power to his game. He's a truly elite runner who can play center field. Uh, he can impact the game with his arm. There's left-handed power, like I said, coming on. He's been more accurate with the barrel this spring and, and hitting more power, hitting for more power this spring as a result. I, I think all the boxes are checked. He's an explosive guy. Really like him. I sure take him at 15. You know, I think he's probably going to be more in the 20s on our board at the end of the day. But uh, um, 
yeah, I don't know if maybe that's a situation where you can save a little bit of money there even uh, against your slot at 15, but take him. Like I, I would be all over that. He's that kind of athlete. Yeah, that's that's something that we've kind of been talking about on the podcast, Brian, is that I, I've said that I would definitely take Dylan Head if it's under slot at 15 over like an Enrique Bradfield, yeah. like four slot. You know what I mean? Just because, and it's not even that like, I, I'm that afraid of Bradfield because I think like with the new rules, like I think he'll be, you know, fairly impactful, but I just rather have the extra three years mm-hmm. of a sim of a similar player that's 18 instead of 21. So, you know, we've kind of talked about those things here too. I want to go back to just that, you know, they're picking at 15 and it's really easy for, you know, me and Mike to sit here and kind of talk about guys the White Sox have been linked to and whatever, but like 15 on the board, like I feel like somebody could fall to them. Mm-hmm. And you, you know, you brought up Braden Taylor. I want to kind of look at these college shortstops just a little bit. Like there's been some talk that Jacob Gonzalez could fall or, you know, like Jacob Wilson, you know, there's the concerns that he doesn't impact the baseball is, is there one of those guys or a guy like that? That's there at 15 that could maybe like thwart the White Sox, like original plan to the point where they're just like, well, we have to take this guy. Cause he fell to us at 15. Um, the, the name that comes to mind. And, and again, I don't know where the White Sox have this guy on their board. So I don't know if they would view this as a fall or not, but like the first name that jumps to mind is Matt Shaw from Maryland. Um, I know the White Sox like Matt Shaw. Do I know if they like him at 15? I don't, I don't know. I just truly don't know. But with that being said, like I, if they view him as a top 10 talent and some others do too, you know, I, I think his range starts at 10 or so. I, I don't think that 15 would be necessarily early for him. I, that could be one of those guys um, in that scenario. And I, may, I don't know how they feel about Colton Ledbetter. I, that, that's a range that's all over the board. I, Tommy Troy, maybe, but I think his exit data is going to keep him uh, – from uh, from falling to you guys at 15, but just some names there. Shanuel, depending on if, how you like him, you know? Yeah, and that's the thing. Like, I, like Troy or Shaw, like, as long as they stay up the middle going college, I think, I, like, I would be totally fine with that. That's what I would do. The thing that scares me is, like, a thing that seemed very likely weeks ago, and look, it could, it could still happen, right? Like, Yoandi Morales, I think it's well-documented here. The White Sox tried to sign him out of high school in 2020. They were very interested. You know, they went the path of Garrett Crochet and Jared Kelly instead and had no money, whatever, right? But so that guy at 15, that profile, I think there are better players on the board. Mm-hmm. Has his stock done much, like, with the the big regional? And then I guess just, like, you know, the linkage – to the White Sox at that spot, what can you tell us or feel comfortable telling us just in regards to that player in the White Sox? Yeah, I mean, he fits a lot of what the White Sox like. Like, you guys know that. You know, I, I don't, I'm not a White Sox, uh, I don't study them intimately, and I can tell that they like Yohandi. You, you know, um, he's big and he's athletic and he has power and bat speed and it all looks good. And, and I understand that. I don't, I don't know, I don't think he has any approach. So I, I wouldn't take him at 15, just me personally. But again, I'm not a MLB scouting director or a GM or whatever. But I, I would rather take a guy who I'm not worried is going to look like Javi Baez in the big leagues as far as the offensive approach goes. Um, just That's just me. But he is super, super talented. He checks a lot of the boxes that the White Sox like. I would not be shocked at all if he was the pick um, at 15. I don't know if he's in play higher than that. I guess he's, I would say no. I would lean no. I haven't heard anything about him higher than that. But 
definitely a wide range of outcomes there given the tools and the upside, but it's just a, I'm struggling to take college guys with that level of approach. That's all. Yeah, no, I agree. And that's, that's like typically the kind of guy that they can't get the most out of either, which is why like, I'd be disappointed like at 25, if that's the guy that you love, like, okay, fine. Right. But I just think 15, somebody's going to be there. Somebody's going to fall to him. So, you know, we kind of talked about strategy at the beginning. You know, I've heard, you know, prep pitching in rounds two and three, I think Mike, uh, surely we've seen they're not shy about taking Midwest guys. Mm-hmm. He loves Indiana preps has notoriously. That's, you know, just kind of where he lives. There's, you know, there's all sorts of rumors right now about Blake Walters, who's a guy that, you know, I guess I'm going to call him local, even though he lives just outside of Champaign. Um, can you just tell us a little bit about Blake Walters of Muhammad? And then there's two Indiana kids too, Bishop Letson and Cameron Tilly, mm-hmm. who, I know for a fact you're on, you know, Mike Shirley's radar. I just, I don't really know much about signability or what round or any of those sorts of things. This is a, we talked about it with me a little bit, how I'll always ride for, you know, Great Lakes guys. So will Shirley and that's fine, but maybe Indiana specific, but yeah. But anyways, Walters, big power arm, physical right-handed kid, a high school pitcher, like you said, just outside of Champaign. The physicality stands out. The arm strength stands out. He's been, I don't know if he's touched triple digits this spring or not, but it's been close, you know, like up to 97, 98, most outings. Um, The fastball has good ride on it. He flashes a plus slider. Uh, There's some effort to the delivery. It's not the longest track record because he wasn't this guy last summer, but that really doesn't matter to me that much because you're trying to catch guys as they continue developing, right? Not like where they plateau, um, just in my head anyways. But uh, yeah, I think that I don't know if anybody's on him in the first round. I think he might come into play in that comp round, um, be one of those prep pitchers who gets overpaid there or overpaid in the second. I could see the White Sox maybe doing that, floating that guy to wherever they pick in the second round and overpaying him. That makes sense to me. Um, as far as the Indiana guys go, Letson is the brand new name. Uh, I, you know, brand new is in the last couple months, anyways. Uh, good body, angular, he's athletic, he moves really well, he can really spin the ball, there's projection for velocity, he's not throwing all that hard yet, but again, who really cares? Everybody can put velocity on you in pro ball. Uh, I think he's been like 88, 93 this spring, it hasn't been bad or anything like that, maybe grab a four, but can really spin it, good athlete, good mover, fits what you want as far as those late prep risers, generally speaking, those dudes who all of a sudden go from, from throwing 90 to 100, that's not necessarily a great sign. So the guys who are slowly progressing and looking great while they do it, those are more what you want. Um, Letson fits that mold. And Cam Tilly, I like Tilly. Saw him pitch really well last summer a couple times. He threw well at the the high school showdown before his high school season began this spring uh, at a PG thing. Um, it's interesting stuff. The fastball is a little flat. At times, it's a little hittable, been up to 93, 94, but he can really spin a slider. It's plus spin rate, and he can really dive a – I think it's a split change. I've been calling it a splitter, but I think it's actually a split change, but his third pitch is a is a real like low spin, nasty kind of diver of a, of a splitter um, that he doesn't command all that well yet, but is nasty. So I, I like Tilly a lot. I have for a year or so now. I think there's, there's big league upside there. I am not sure on the signability of Tilly. I am not entirely sure on the signability of uh, Walters, but I believe that Letson is inter- interested in signing from what I understand. Yeah. And Letson's another Purdue guy, I think. Yep. So yep. yeah. 
Really good information, Brian. Thanks so much for all of your time. I got one more question for you, and then I'll let James follow up if he has anything else. I'm just curious your opinion of Mike Shirley and the way that, you know, 2020, his first official draft class, and thinking about now that he's leading the amateur draft, your opinion of the way the White Sox are trying to build their infrastructure, has it gotten better? So I've always appreciated his willingness to swing for upside. You know, I, I think there's an element of still determining which traits that you identify as amateur players really kind of look like they're going to be upside long term. You, you know what I mean? But I've, I've always appreciated his willingness to spend on upside. Uh, he saw it with Colton, Colson Montgomery. He saw it with, with West Cath, and he spent and got both those guys. He saw it with Noah Schultz uh, when everybody else was scared of Noah Schultz. You know, this guy's like, what? This guy might be Randy Johnson. Of course, we're taking him. You know, so I, I've like always appreciated that. There's they're going to be misses with that approach, and that and that's what happens. You know, I think Jared Kelly maybe at this point it could be considered a miss again. I don't know. I don't follow pro ball all that much. You guys tell me if I'm wrong, but. Um, you're always going to have misses when, when you swing like that. But I, I think that he's taking the approach of also trying to hit some home runs too. So uh, we'll have to wait a couple of years to really judge it. But I, I do appreciate his aggressiveness. Well, so that like the Jared Kelly thing, again, it's another prep guy, right? And he struggled, but he's 21 years old, right? So that's like the difference. Like the White Sox were taking college guys that needed a bunch of development as well. And they're 26. Whereas like Jared Kelly... He's been in a piggyback role this year, and his, his stuff like finally looks like it's playing. So, like, look, maybe Jared Kelly's a reliever, mm -hmm. and you know, like, you you get a big leaguer out of that. It's not the greatest strategy in the world, but like, one of the things that I found interesting last year that he pinpointed about the Noah Schultz thing, and it's kind of like what you said, just the upside there. He said, "Yeah, we could have taken a college starter there that we think is going to be like a number four starter, right? Or we can spend two point eight million dollars." on this guy who yes could get hurt and never pitch past double a or whatever, but like he could also be like at the front of a rotation. Yes. So like the white Sox just kind of are more willing to take that chance, you know, with the 28th pick in the draft than settling for look like they got Jonathan cannon in the third round. I'd argue that's the type of guy that some people might get it, you know, 28 anyway, ultimately. So I think that's kind of the way they looked at it. I have always appreciated the willingness to swing for upside, man. Like I do. I, I wish the Tigers did it more during the Avila years, you know. Um, like take the guy you've identified who's a long ways away but might be a seven, you know. So I will I will continue to respect that for Mr. Shirley for sure. Brian, this has been great. Thanks so much for the time. Well, what's your draft night plans? Are you doing anything cool? Um, I'll be on the road. I will be um in hoover alabama i hold on let's pull up the calendar and look yeah uh, please <laughs> um yeah i'll be in hoover for night one catching a flight on day two to head out to phoenix because on day three pg national starts uh, from chase field out there so going to be on the road and on planes and in hotels but that is how i've gotten accustomed to covering the draft because the last several years have been yeah. right in the middle of the summer anyways so you know yeah yeah we we've talked to a few experts and scouts and their travel schedule and just busy season yep extremely busy right now brian thanks for carving out some time for us you're awesome thank you guys i appreciate you having me as always uh, anytime loved it that's brian sikowski of perfect game baseball be sure to follow him on twitter at b underscore sikowski underscore pg for brian sikowski for james fox my name is mike rankin we release episodes every Tuesday. Looking forward to Major League Baseball draft and what the White Sox are going to do. We'll talk to you all next week.